The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. One of the most compelling things about the sport is the sense of flight. And the sense of theater. That's Sandra Bezik, a former pro skater and choreographer on the sport she loves, figure skating. It's the combination of the physicality, the the technical prowess combined with the moment of performance. And that's why I think it's always been so compelling to to the public. There are so many elements that converge, and, and when they do, and when they hit that sweet spot, when it all aligns, it's magical. As a former choreographer to skating legends like Brian Boitano and Katarina Witt, and a commentator at five Winter Olympic Games, Sandra has been there for many of the most famous, the most magical figure skating moments at the Olympics. That includes the 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City. The night of the final round of the Paris competition, Sandra was in the broadcasting booth when two Canadians took the ice, Jamie Saleh and David Pelletier. David was selling beer at hockey games in Montreal. Jamie was serving coffee at the Second Cup in Edmonton. And now now they're skating. A classic performance, classic choreography, love story. That's Sandra and her NBC broadcast partner, Tom Hammond, painting the story for the audience as Jamie and David take position at center ice. With a gold medal at stake, the tension of the live broadcast can't be higher. The arena in Salt Lake City goes silent. And the music, the theme to the 1970 movie Love Story, starts. Jamie and David were the boy and girl next door. They looked like Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw. They were wholesome, athletic, aggressive, fresh. She was bubbly. He's got a dry French-Canadian sense of humor. They just felt like you knew them. It was accessible. It was accessible to a Western audience and understandable immediately. The performance lasts four and a half minutes. There are no falls, no stumbles. It's seamless. Sandra's right. You don't have to be a skating expert to appreciate the artistry, to see the magic. Their performance that night was 
as good as they could possibly do. They hit that sweet spot where it all aligns technically and emotionally. So for us, there was no doubt. Simply perfect. And you got a sense that really the program was just an exercise. They knew when they heard 5-7 that this was in their hand. Sandra and the third member of the NBC broadcast team, Scott Hamilton, were referring to the performance of the Paris skating team, who went before Jamie and David, their Russian rivals, Elena Bereznia and Anton Sikirolidze. Jamie and David were neck and neck with Elena and Anton going into the final round. And after watching their flawless performance, Sandra and her fellow commentators, and everyone watching in their arena and at home, thought it was over. On the broadcast, the cameras train on Jamie and David as they sit and wait for their scores. They're breathless. Wearing matching gray outfits, they're smiling wide and waving to the cameras. Not only are they skating partners, but they're also a couple. A photogenic one for this perfect TV moment. An audience in the tens of millions in the U.S. alone will see their reaction in real time. The first set of marks are in for technical merit. And while they are strong, the commentators note that they're maybe not as strong as they expected them to be. The next set of marks in presentation come through, and then the judges' rankings are revealed. The Commentators are stunned by the turn of events. You can even hear Sandra turning away from the mic, screaming no. She's reacting to the fact that the judges have ranked the Soviets in first over the Canadians by a count of five to four meaning that Jamie and David are shockingly in second place. Meanwhile, Jamie and David are still smiling for the cameras, but as the stunning final rankings stay on the screen, Jamie puts her palms up with a strained smile, and David's head collapses in his hands. The moment isn't just uncomfortable, it's shocking and heartbreaking. The love story is shattered. I was really, really sad. I was devastated. I was devastated for both pairs. Sandra was sad that there was no fairy tale ending for Jamie and David, and for the sport that she loved. But she also felt something else. I instantly felt like something was up. You know, my spidey sense, it was just like, no, no, this can't happen. It was wrong. We knew it. Sandra's intuition was right. There was something horribly off with the result. At the medal ceremony that night, Jamie and David stood on the podium and accepted their silver medals as their Russian rivals took gold. But the controversy was just beginning. And after that night, the figure skating world would never be the same. Well, it changed the sport, didn't it? The whole thing changed the sport. What followed was a media frenzy, a week of rumors, lies, confessions, and retractions, all of it leading to an overhaul of the sport and the uncovering of a conspiracy that would involve the most powerful officials in figure skating, the FBI, and even the Russian mafia. And what's even crazier is that years later, in 2013, my path would cross with that main Russian mobster involved in the scandal. But more on that later.
I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and what the greatest athletes would lose to win. This season is all about controversies and scandals on the biggest world stage, the Olympics. And this episode is the biggest controversy in figure skating history, the 2002 Winter Olympics Paris figure skating judging scandal. In the aftermath of that night in Salt Lake City, reputations would be destroyed. Now, 20 years later, we can look back and see how the foundation of the sport itself was rocked that night. Figure skating in that era was the most watched event of the Winter Olympic Games. And in fact, certain competitions, the the only thing that surpassed them for viewership numbers was the Super Bowl. That's Ed Swift. His pen name is E.M. Swift. Ed covered seven Olympics for Sports Illustrated magazine beginning in 1978. My first Olympics was Katarina Witt against Debbie Thomas, you know, the queen from the East against the young, scrappy African-American skater who sort of defied the stereotype of the princess figure skaters. The stars in the artistry made figure skating compelling. Whether you were a kid with aspirations of becoming the next Olympic star or someone with zero knowledge of the sport, It was accessible to the guy sitting on his bar stool, having a beer. It's beautiful. You can relate to the jumps and the spins, and you could particularly relate to the scoring um, and the political aspect of the scoring. It was just an accessible sport, and that was part of its charm. And the scores were very subjective, nakedly so. 5.8, 5.7. 5. 5.6, 5. you know, 5.9. And because it was a 6.0 sliding scale, you could argue it at the bar. You could say, oh, my favorite skater, the Canadian Brian Orser got screwed. And the American sitting next to said, no, Brian Boitano beat him. I clearly thought his was a better program. Figure skating is really an art as much as it is a sport. And that pairing of art and sport made it unique. Athletes were free to express themselves. It celebrated individuality and creativity, and this created stars. Not only did did people fall in love with the sport itself, but they fell in love with the characters because they they were colorful characters. Sandra has been in the skating world practically all her life. She started competing in national competitions as a 12 year old. And after a professional career, choreographed the programs of the sport's biggest names, including U.S. gold medalists Tara Lipinski and Christy Yamaguchi. Not just at the Olympics, but also on wildly popular touring shows like Stars on Ice. We sold out across North America. We're talking 65 dates. We're talking Madison Square Gardens to the rafters. It was somewhere you took your date. It was a sexy, energetic, uh, passionate sensual experience. Uh, And that was late 80s, early 90s. And then the whack on the knee just, it, it furthered the popularity because what was happening 
was that people who wouldn't necessarily normally watch skating turned on the TV and fell in love and were compelled by it. The Whack on the Knee, the Nancy Kerrigan-Tanya Harding episode in 1994 that, for better or worse, only increased public interest in the world of figure skating. Figure skating was controversial. It was exciting and sexy, and even included political intrigue. As far as drama, it had it all. And in 2002, figure skating remained as popular as ever. At the games in Salt Lake City, the biggest star was American Michelle Kwan, who was going for gold in the women's competition. But the first event to take center stage was the pairs figure skating event. And the stage was set for audiences to fall in love with two telegenic Canadian skaters who were a couple off the ice, too. Jamie and David had a meteoric rise. They were only together for a few years. And so they were popular, but maybe not household names yet because people hadn't spent a lot of time with them yet. They were already world champions. They weren't necessarily massive stars in Canada. Jamie and David were aggressive and powerful skaters. In each of their jumps, you saw their strength and athleticism. They were world champions, but they weren't clear favorites to win gold because of a formidable pair from Russia who finished second at Worlds, Elena Berezhna and Anton Sikarulza. Elena and Anton were the epitome of grace and elegance and subtlety. She, in particular, seemed fragile, porcelain figurine in a way. One team was sublime and elegant and pristine, and the other was aggressive and physical, and, but both were excellent. Figure skating has two days of events, the short and long programs. In the short program in Salt Lake City, Elena and Anton had the highest scores, but right behind them were Jamie and David. Jamie and David and Elena and Anton, both pairs, were at the top of their game. I mean, first of all, the short program, where the Russians were perfect, and Jamie and David had the fall at the end of the program. They had this sort of comical fall. But that was then clear. The Russians were first, Jamie and David were second, fair square. The next night was the long, or the free program, where gold would be decided. For the free program, uh, the first dramatic thing that happened was the warm-up. Just moments before the start of competition, Jamie was going full speed on the ice, headed toward Elena and Anton, who were also warming up. And Jamie knocked into Anton's side and tumbled onto the ice. I mean, it was an awful crash. And we were all really worried about that and really worried about whether she had time to collect herself. And him too, actually, both pairs. It can affect both pairs. The, the crash elevated the drama for certain. Jamie had a hard time breathing, but David picked her up and took their spot next to the ice. There wasn't much time for either pair to collect themselves, because within moments, the first team took the ice, and then Elena and Anton were up. There are different kinds of Olympic performances. The ones that are skating to win, or skating for the moment, as opposed to skating not to lose. And I had the impression that Elena and Anton were just a tiny bit cautious. 
and protective of the title. And it wasn't a perfect performance. And so we knew in the booth that the door was open. The NBC commentators noted that gold was up for grabs. Lots of room, lots of room. Five sevens are not normally gold medal winning marks. The door was open for Jamie and David, who skated next. A massive audience was watching from home. At least 66 million viewers tuned in to at least part of the NBC broadcast that night. Everyone was on pins and needles, including Sandra. Every time I did a broadcast, it felt like the first time. So, yes, I was very nervous in 2002. But the other thing was... There was electricity because it was live, live, live. The whole room was. It wasn't just us. And it wasn't because they were a North American audience. When you are feeling the electricity in the room, you know. You know who should win. Everybody does. If you're lying in bed dreaming about your Olympic performance... This is the performance Jamie and David were dreaming about. When Jamie and David's skate was over, gold seemed to be theirs. Trying to catch their breath, Jamie and David acknowledged the crowd at center ice as they looked up and waved. The mood in the arena shifted dramatically when the scores revealed that the Russians, not the Canadians, were positioned for gold. How is that possible? The NBC broadcasters began to shift their attention on the judges as the cameras panned across where they sat. The judges seem befuddled. Broken ties. The five number ones, they got four. Broken ties. This competition is not over yet. Journalists, we would sit in the crowd, actually. I didn't consider myself partisan. Most of the American journalists around me, from the New York Times and, you know, Chicago Tribune and... USA Today, whatnot, the end of a performance would sort of like, you know, well, what did you think? What did you think? In this case, it was unanimous among those of us that were in the press box there that the Canadian pair, they deserved the gold. The crowd knew it, and they let the judges know how they felt. Because it was in Salt Lake City, there were a lot of Canadians there. And Canadians travel well. They travel with their flags and their red and white you know, paraphernalia and the maple leaves. And so it was a partisan crowd, for sure. They were booing, they were throwing stuff, they were they were shocked. You don't hear booing at a figure skating competition like that very often, I would say almost never. The booing didn't last long. There were still more skaters to go after Jamie and David. The next pair was already on the ice as the scores were revealed. And after they were finished, it was official. The Russians finished first, and Jamie and David second. And Sandra said on the broadcast, I'm embarrassed for our sport right now. Sandra was embarrassed because the wrong team won, but her feelings were deeper than embarrassment. I was really, really sad. I was devastated. I was devastated for both pairs. I was really sad that the world saw our underbelly so blatantly. Sandra was devastated, but she was also angry. Angry because she felt deep down 
that this was likely more than a misjudgment, that the competition could have actually been fixed. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. It was the biggest story of the Salt Lake City Games, how the picture-perfect Canadian Pairs team was robbed of a gold medal caused a media frenzy. The attention shifted from the skaters to the judges and officials behind the sport. Judging and figure skating added a layer of intrigue to the drama of the sport. It also always left itself open to debate and speculation about preferences, biases, and even corruption. There was always speculation that there was uh, nefarious activity between particularly East, Eastern European judging. The Russian Federation and Moscow had, you know, incredible sway over a number of the votes on any panel. Most notable was the 1999 World Figure Skating Championships, when a judge was seen on tape suspiciously tapping his foot. It turns out the judge was signaling to another judge how he was scoring. The judges were disciplined, but you are uh, suspended for two years. <laughs> and then, then they'd come back, you know, and or maybe their wife would take their place. It was all inside baseball, nepotism, and not very trustworthy, but that, that was the way it worked. In other words, while there had never been a major judging scandal prior to 2002, the sport did have a history of shadiness and lack of accountability when it came to its judges. Even on the Olympic stage, the judging was, at least according to Ed, clearly far from objective. It came down very clearly on partisan lines between East and West. When it came to the pairs figure skating results at Salt Lake City, the result was 5-4 in favor of the Russians. The four judges who put Jamie and David as their top choice were from Canada, the United States, Germany, three Western countries, and a reliable ally, Japan. The judges who placed the Russians in front, Russia, Ukraine, China, Poland, and France, a Western country that voted with the Eastern Bloc. You could kind of put together 
what might have happened, that this is because it was a 5-4 panel of judges, and it was East and West divided predictably, except the fifth judge was basically decided who won was a French judge. Ed thought the French judge's decision was suspicious. She was a woman named Marie Reine Laguni, a veteran judge who had nothing in her past as a judge to indicate impropriety. But in Salt Lake, she quickly became a person of interest. The question was, why would Laguni vote for the Russians? The following day, the judges met in a room with the event's lead referee to justify their marks, which is customary, but this meeting caused a circus. Cameras were waiting outside the doors, and inside, the revelations were explosive. The French judge who had voted for the Russians had been getting angry emails and people that saw her in the elevator, you know, spoke to her. How could you do that? You blew it. You missed it. Anyway, she gets in the judging room the next day and basically breaks down and, and, and said, you don't understand the pressure that we are put under and you've got to stop it. You've got to help us. Our federations are making us do things that we don't want to do. At that point, the head referee, who was an American, <laughs> they said, okay, time out. And, you know, they put the whole competition, they sort of suspended, and they said, we've got to get to the bottom of this. One statement that Laguni had made in the meeting stunned the room. She said, it's all DDA's fault. DDA was DDA Gaige, the head of the French Skating Federation. DDA was Laguni's boss and one of the most powerful figures in the world of figure skating, a longtime fixture in the sport. He was known for getting his way. In fact, he had a nickname, Little Napoleon. I knew DDA from when I was 13, 14 years old, competing internationally. He was a snake. He, he had no shame. He played with athletes for his own gain. And I don't understand what gain it was. Like many other sports, figure skating had a dark side of corruption and cheating. Sandra had always been aware of an ugly underbelly that she believed represented the exception, not the rule. And DDA represented the shady side of the sport. DDA came up to me in 98 in Nagano and bragged to me and I was, I was the media, I was with CBC at the time, and he bragged to me that the fix was in for the dance event. And my jaw dropped. He said, the, the dance event's done. I've got it done. And <laughs> my jaw dropped. I said it on the air, and nothing changed after 98. It could have been stopped in 98. 2002 never had to happen. At Salt Lake, DDA denied that he'd pressured Laguni. And Laguni would later recant on her confession and allegations about DDA in an interview just days after the explosive meeting, saying that she believed the Russians were the best pair and deserved gold. But the cat was out of the bag. The head official of international figure skating, a man named Otavio Cinquanta, said that he would take his time with the investigation, but wait until after the Olympics. It seemed like he wanted to just kick the issue down the road. But because of the public embarrassment, there was tremendous pressure for the IOC to get to the bottom of what happened immediately, 
and Cinquanta opened an investigation. Behind the scenes, there was another party investigating the matter, the U.S. Department of Justice. The DOJ worked with the Salt Lake City office of the FBI, who interviewed DDA behind closed doors. DDA had continued to deny involvement, but revealed that he had been contacted by an individual from the Russian mafia leading up to the Salt Lake City Games. The FBI looked into whether there were crimes that took place. Our team tried to reach out to DDA for comment, but as of the time of recording, we had not heard back. The FBI's investigation led them to an individual named Alimjan Toktokhanov, who, believe it or not, was believed to be a Russian mobster. Now, before we get into how this guy factors into the 2002 scandal, I did promise to tell you how my own path once intertwined with Toktokhanov. In April 2013, the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York issued a release. The headline read, Manhattan U.S. Attorney charges 34 members and associates of two Russian-American organized crime enterprises with operating international sports books that laundered more than $100 million. And at the top of the list of those 34 names was, you guessed it, Almajan Toktokhanov the same Russian mobster who some believe was involved in the 2002 figure skating fixing. And by now, you might have also guessed that my name was also listed on that release. Even though I had absolutely zero knowledge of who this guy was, we were actually indicted at the same time. Because at the lower level of the indictment were also people accused of running high-stakes poker games, like me. And for what it's worth, it would appear he's still at large. Now, back in 2002, it was revealed in wiretapped conversations that Toktokhanov seemed to have some control over how the votes would go down in the Olympics, and the FBI concluded that bribery had taken place. Toktokhanov, who was dealing with an unidentified party, would be charged with tampering with an Olympic event. The scheme was revealed to the world. The French had a pair in the dance competition, which would have been held several days later, that maybe you could imagine there had been some sort of a trade, you know, arranged so that the Russian judge would vote for the French dance couple if the French judge would vote for the Russian pair, because the Russian didn't have a high dance couple that year, and they usually do. The Russians needed the French vote to win one event, Paris figure skating. The French needed the Russian vote to win another, ice dancing, quid pro quo. But that's what happens and happened more than one occasion. Who knows how many times? It was a barter system. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It was a bombshell. In the days leading up to the revelation, Jamie and David became the world's most sympathetic and famous duo. Their faces splashed across magazine covers, all over TV. The Today Show, Larry King, Leno. The outrage had been growing. Nearly a week had passed when the IOC made an announcement. Laguni and DDA would be suspended from the Olympics. And Jamie and David would also be awarded gold with the Russians. The two pairs standing side by side on the podium. It was an unprecedented move. Results in the Olympics have been changed due to unintentional mistakes in the past, but this was the first time a gold medal result was altered 
due to judging corruption. It wasn't exactly a storybook ending. Though they'd done nothing wrong, Elena and Anton were viewed as villains in some eyes, tied to the Russian mob without any evidence. And as nice as it was to have some vindication, Jamie and David were still sharing the gold medal that was by all accounts theirs. The resolution was the one that made sense, but the second ceremony, which was broadcast on NBC, was just awkward and uncomfortable. Now they can walk away both champions, both winners, and now some serious reform in figure skating judging. I think we look freaky from the outside sometimes. The sport is very insular, and we don't always look to the outside for influence. And we also don't necessarily look to our history to improve ourselves. And so everybody just sort of talks to each other and agrees with each other. And it doesn't necessarily have a chance to grow in the real world and be influenced by the real world. Sandra was eager to see how the sport would change in the aftermath of the greatest scandal in its history. There was an opportunity to change the sport, hopefully for the better. So I was glad that everything was coming out. We all want to protect our sport, but I think it's important for all of that to be exposed and for the individuals, for the individuals to be called out because it's only a few individuals. My understanding is that the Olympic Committee gave the International Skating Union an ultimatum, clean up your sport or you're out, you're out of the Olympics. In the months that followed, DDA and Laguni continued to claim their innocence. Two months after the scandal broke, Olympic figure skating head Otavia Cinquanta announced that Laguni and DDA were suspended from the sport, but only for three years. While a disgraced Laguni would never reemerge in figure skating, little Napoleon would return to his role and status as one of the most powerful people in the sport. If an athlete cheats at the Olympics, they're thrown out for life, right? Why isn't an official thrown out for life? Why weren't they just gone? And it was extraordinary that after Salt Lake, he came back and he was allowed to come back. Why was DDA back? (laughs) Why was he back in three years? An opportunity to take a serious look at judging corruption within figure skating was squandered. Anything that's judged is potentially imperfect. Anything that's judged can potentially be rigged. So instead of throwing, you know, the whole scoring system out, what they should have done is throw the judges out and fix, cleaned up the judges. And that, you know, that is a never-ending process, but they weren't willing to undergo it. In hindsight, the best way to do it would be to ban those judges for life, you know, and ban anybody involved for life and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sweeping changes in the sport did come in the aftermath of Salt Lake. But as Ed pointed out, they didn't overhaul the judges. Instead, Cinquanta announced that figure skating was going to immediately overhaul the scoring system in response to the Salt Lake debacle. Cinquanta said his objective was to make the judging more precise and to remove the subjectivity. Others saw it differently. Well, his, uh, his idea was, 
We're gonna we're gonna make the judging so complicated that people aren't gonna have any idea if it's rigged or not. The original scoring system, if you remember, was incredibly simple. The skaters were scored on a 6.0 scale in two categories, and the judges ranked the competitors in order. Those rankings were compiled to decide the winner. Cinquanta changed that. The original scoring system was a 6.0 system, meaning 6.0 was was a perfect mark. His idea was to put numbers on uh, specific elements in a skating program. So a triple axle was worth X and a triple flip was worth Y. And this is true for all the spins and all the, you know, uh, transitions and uh, the, the, the choreography. All these things had a numerical component. Uh, and at the end of a program, you added it all up and you had a number and the highest number wins. Well, so he had 287.32 beating 282.15. How do you argue that? I mean, nobody understood what the heck these numbers meant, what they came from. And and that included the, the coaches and the choreographers and the skaters themselves. The immediate reaction to the changes wasn't outrage. People were just perplexed by the system because it was so complicated compared to the old system. We didn't know when they changed the scoring the full impact it would have on the sport. Competitions began to look and feel different as the coaches, choreographers, and skaters became familiar with the system and started creating programs designed to maximize points. The programs have become, from beginning to end, movement. Bang, 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 bang. There's no breath. There's no, no pause. There's, there's no time. They can't take the time. All they knew was, well, if I do a spin with my head, my, my leg up over my head, I get more points than I do with a spin where my two feet are on the ice. And so as a result, everybody tailored their programs, you know, for these, the highest score that they could get with each individual element. And so all the, the programs tended to look the same because they were all doing the same difficult elements, some better than others. There's a sameness to one skater's program versus the next skater's program didn't used to be. And then the other thing, too, is the ordinal system, it was comparative. You are the best. You are second best. You are third best. Now, it's the the skaters are judged purely as separate entities and not necessarily comparative. So you earn the points you earn. And then you place whatever you place because of the points you earned. It's not necessarily comparative. And I think when you take away that comparative part of it, you kind of take away the excitement. Over time, it became clear what the sport had lost with the new scoring system. Remember the old, I mean, I don't even know if you remember it, but they they called it the scratch spin. And that was where a skater just spun in place so fast it was a blur. And many programs in the old days 
ended with a scratch spin. And most of us loved it. It was just like, whoa, how can you do that? Well, you never, literally never see a scratch spin at a high level anymore because in their wisdom, and I'm putting quotes around that word, they are rewarding contortionists over beauty. I mean, so, so you get, you get these unattractive positions, you know, where the lady's got her, her leg going forward over her head and doing a spin. I mean, it's really something if you did it in public, you get thrown in jail and that gets highly rewarded over something more traditional. It's really hard to weave in the artistry, the, 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 the creative arc of a composition when you have to do, you have to f- move your arms for points or move your body for points. I mean, why? There was something else the sport began to lose viewers, and not just at the Olympics. We lost our audience. A Stars on Ice, for example, instead of 20,000 people, is skating for 3,000 people. 2,500 people. That's what we lost. Figure skaters were no longer household names because the Olympics stopped producing stars that transcended the sport. You lost a lot of creativity and originality and a lot of what the sport, um, what its appeal to the ordinary viewer, they lost that because, you know, the guy sitting on a barstool had no idea what these numbers meant. The creativity and artistry of the sport was sucked out of programs. And as the memorable moments and stars went away, the figure skating stage at the Olympics just began to feel smaller. And the moment when things began to change can be traced back to 2002 and the Salt Lake City scandal. Well, it changed the sport, didn't it? The whole thing changed the sport. There was a concerted effort then to redesign the judging. But you see, they got it wrong. Judging needed to be modernized and grow with, as the sport is growing, and certainly grow with the technical aspects of the sport. But what they needed to do was revise how the judges are selected and consider probably, or possibly, professional judges so that they couldn't be bought that they couldn't be controlled or manipulated or intimidated, which is what the French judge was. Sandra still gets emotional talking about what went down at those games. We're talking about people who have trained their entire lives, who've given, you know, their blood and guts for years and years. And these officials think it's their right to play with those lives. And that's what incenses me the most. After she was disgraced at Salt Lake City, Marie Ren Laguni disappeared from the spotlight. She said in a 2018 interview that her life was devastated and that she, quote, didn't want to live anymore. She has never gone into specifics of what happened, but said in 2018 that she views herself as a scapegoat and says the system then put judges under terrible pressure. After DDA Guy Gay's three-year suspension was over, DDA was back in the sport. He continued his reign atop the French Figure Skating Federation 
until resigning in 2021, only after former skaters accused coaches of sexual assault and DDA was accused of dismissing those allegations. Jamie and David never skated in another Olympics. They were married in 2005, and though they divorced in 2010, they remained skating partners after their separation. And the scoring system that was instituted in international competitions just months after the 2002 Games remains the scoring system for all international competitions, including the Olympics. Despite this cumbersome and flawed scoring system that conceals skaters' talent and even diminishes it, there are amazing, breathtaking athletes in figure skating today, many of whom competed recently in Beijing. My frustration is the athletes are more extraordinary than ever now, but it's harder to understand how extraordinary they are for the general public. I mean, Nathan Chen should be a household name. He's one of the greatest skaters I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he's, he's just extraordinary. So, and his work is great. He should be a star. He should be a star. But Chen isn't nearly the star that, say, Brian Botano was at his peak. But as Sandra says, he deserves to be. And she attributes this to the scoring changes, which have led to less artistry, less excitement, and drama. And as a result, fewer fans. There are plenty of figure skating fans across the world today, appreciating stars like Chen and loving figure skating in its current form. Figure skating is huge in Asia right now. Huge. It's fabulous. They've grown up with this system. They understand it and it works for them. But I've seen both. And I know what we've lost. And Sandra fears that what we've lost might be lost forever. There needed to be progress, for certainly, to match the progression of the sport. But it, it took away the value of the moment. There's no mark for the magic. And part of the appeal of figure skating was experiencing that magical moment in a performance, in the Olympic performance, when somebody, somebody stars align and everything works. In those moments, stick out in your brain. Brian Boitano in 88. Tara in 98. It, it's Torval and Dean in 84. It's like boom, boom, boom. And now it's harder for those moments to kind of jump out in your brain. When Sandra closes her eyes, she can still remember Love Story ringing across the arena that night, 20 years ago. And all the elements converging, the sense of flight, the sense of theater, the physicality, everything aligned into, yes, something magical. For a moment, that night was the sport she loves at its very best. And then the music stopped. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Jenner Pasqua, Nikki Stein, and Kelsey Albright. It was written by Albert Chen. Technical direction and engineering by Nick Dooley. Original music by James Lavino. A 
special thanks to Allison Cohen, Matt Azenstadt, and Omar Tarbush. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Torched, standing up for what you believe in on the world's biggest stage leads to serious consequences because of one unforgiving rule in the Olympic Charter. Rule 50 is it's outdated. It's hypocritical. It's like, how can you silence athletes in any field of play, but you gain so much from their stories? You gain so much from their voices. That's next time on Torched. If you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll see you next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.